Welcome to the Founder and Funder Experience, brought to you by Valence Advisory and Mattermade. This podcast serves to bring to light the different journeys select founders and funders took to get to where they are today. We hope their lives and their learnings continue to inspire both present and future innovators. Hello, everybody. My name is Arjun Devarora, and I am the founder and managing partner of Valence Advisory. We support founders and funders and help accelerate their efforts via people, strategy, and capital. And now off to John. Great. Thank you, Arjun. So John Lowe here. Uh, I'm an advisor at Valence Advisory. I collaborate with Arjun. I myself am the lead on leadership coaching and communications. Love it. Facilitate it all day long. Um, and today we have a wonderful guest who is called Ulus Nike. He's a venture capitalist and founder of Streamline Ventures. And we're going to dive a bit more into his professional and personal story. And to kick things off, Ulus, uh, like to give you an opportunity to describe your current role with Streamline and uh, what you and the team are working on now. Okay, terrific. Um, well, hello, everybody. Um, I am the founder of Streamline Ventures. Uh, we're a seed stage venture capital firm um, that's been around for about nine years at this point. We've invested in uh, about 130 companies to date. Um, this is my third venture firm that I'm building. This one I started by myself, but prior to that, I also helped build a firm called Globespan Capital and another firm um, called Coda Capital, uh, where I was a founder, but my other founders are building that firm. Uh, I've had investment experience now across about 400 companies at this point in time uh, over the last uh, 23 years of investing. So I uh, consider myself to be a pretty steady hand, having seen lots of ups and downs, and especially in today's environment when we're seeing a lot of downs, um, providing, providing that kind of steady guidance to our founders. Thank you. Thank you. And just because it's contextual in light of recent mass events, what is some of that sound advice or guidance uh, you're providing founders in light of uh, COVID and the pandemic? And, or is that different? Is it case by case or do you see a pattern? Yeah, it, it varies by sector and stage. Um, so, you know, uh, at the very high level, the general rule of thumb is to try to have our companies uh, have 12 months of gross burn uh, uh, runway uh, at the minimum. In, in most companies' cases, we're trying to push them to 18 months of burn runway. And, um, and I think so far, we've done this work over the last three weeks across our portfolio. And I'd say 90 to 95% of the companies that we're involved with are in that mode of having minimum 12 months of runway, which I feel very, very happy about. Now, there's a lot of different uh, tactics that one can employ. Um, there are some companies where we are not concerned at all about the burn aspect of it because they are in sectors that are actually, because of this environment, growing really well. So sectors like healthcare, e-commerce, gaming, uh, delivery are doing exceptionally well in this environment. Um, companies that are aimed at large enterprise sales or SMB um, sales are, are seeing much more elongated sales cycles. And so there with companies like that, we are a lot more, uh, there's a lot more scrutiny around what that gross burn looks like and how does one find a way to get to at least 12 months of runway until we start to see some of those sales cycles start to shrink? Um, so that's, so again, like I said, it depends on the sector, depends on the stage, but, um, um, but, but the enterprise-oriented companies are probably the ones that are going to get more hit in this environment. Thank you. Thank you, Olas. And uh, yourself and the team at Streamline Ventures, I don't know if you're on a remote working model before these recent events, but how have you, if you have navigated and become 
recently more uh, 100% remote. Well, actually, not if you had to. Um, how has that been for the team? Um, so we went to a, we we have an office in San Francisco. We have an office in Palo Alto. <laughs> Uh, and we were all working from the office in San Francisco. About three weeks ago, we went to a remote format. So uh, we started to feel that, you know, the situation was starting to become a little untenable and social isolation was, um, that was being employed in other places was probably the right call. And then, of course, the state of, Cal- the state of California also instituted those, those restrictions about a week later. So we, we've been on it for a while, which is, you know, interesting and tricky, but, uh, but I think we're managing to get through it just fine. We are... Um, we have daily standups and then we still have our team meetings that are, you know, three hours long and everything is done over video. Great. Thanks. That's, uh, that's wonderful. And, um, and I was going to also ask just even you've obviously as a steward of capital, you've been through multiple recessions, ups and downs. Um, and you've been in the game arguably, uh, forever (laughs) since, (laughs) since you graduated. Um, regardless of whether times are tough economically or times are very bullish, um, what is it that keeps you in the game? What do you enjoy most about being a steward of capital yourself? Yeah. Um, So for me, uh, you know, supporting founders is a very, very big piece of why I keep doing this. I've been doing it for, as I said, for 23 years. Um, And we've had lots, our fair share of successes and failures and we've had big successes as well. Um, But I'm almost... I almost don't care about the successes at this point. You know, the wins don't matter as much as the journey matters to me. And what really matters is to be this, this resource to help founders build their businesses. Um, for me, I came to this country very poor. I had uh, no money. And it's the socioeconomic construct of this, company, of this country that allowed me an opportunity to succeed and make it. And I feel that, you know, philosophically, I live and breathe every single day to help this country and the socioeconomic structure continue to um, proliferate. And to me, founders are the lifeblood of, of that system. And so every day I wake up and I, all I do is live, for, uh, live to find a way to help them. And these could be founders in our portfolio who I help the most, but also founders who are not in our portfolio. I'm always taking calls from people, um, you know, if they're going through or facing a specific issue or something to sort of give them specific solutions based on my 23 years of experience and 400 companies worth of uh, investment experience. Great. Thank you. And I'd love to unpack that a bit as well, Lewis, because, you know, there's a lot of people who are using the terminology in the ecosystem, founder centricity or being founder centric. I would like to unpack that a bit with you. Um, What, what specific behaviors uh, as an investor and as a student of capital, do you think are, are commensurate with uh, founder centricity. Rather than talking, what behaviors give you a good benchmark for that f- uh, philosophy or approach? So for me, it's like it comes down to resiliency, integrity, intelligence. Those are the three things that I think are one of the key traits of founders who end up really changing the world that they want to change, right? And you know, different founders take on different challenges for different reasons, but I think those three traits invariably end up creating successful outcomes for those founders and allow them to get through really difficult times or have the right mindset in good times. And so I think, I think resiliency, integrity, and intelligence, I think, sort of eventually end up being the, the consistent thematic thing across all the successful founders. The founders that I've found sometimes 
who have not succeeded, uh, sometimes, not always, but who have not succeeded, are those that do not, in the hard times perhaps, have the ability to sort of pivot fast uh, or, or have the resiliency to sort of go and you know, get financing in, in some creative manner as possible. We are currently dealing with one of our companies where they uh, had documents signed by an investor uh, a week and a half ago and the wire never showed up. And that's partly because they were just like, okay, we're kind of pulling back from everything. And the founder of this company had so much resiliency that he, he hounded those investors, brought them back to the table. We had to create a slightly some sweetener to get them involved. But because of that, it's that, it's that resiliency and that, again, intelligence, meaning the creativity with which he approached it, that allowed the company to get the wire. We actually got the wire today, which is now we're you know, feeling very happy about. But it's those, Congratulations. those that, are, that are critical. And Bob, that's really helpful. Thank you. Um, and also for you, like whether times are tough or whether times are good, my understanding, I'm not a venture capitalist myself, but arguably you manage a two-sided marketplace between founders and LPs, right? Other people's capital. How have you built it into your mandate or your practice or your professional discipline to get that right so that when times are tough, you are best equipped to respond quickly to your founding portfolio members and to provide support in, a, in the most frictionless way possible. Yeah. I think communication becomes extremely important in, in difficult times, right? Which means that uh, we need to be, our bread is buttered by our LPs. It's their capital that we're managing. We're the stewards of their capital. So they put us in business. So we have to make sure we're communicating with them regularly, transparently in terms of what we're doing on behalf of them. Uh, for our portfolio companies. And then you got to work extremely hard with the portfolio companies. So as I mentioned, in the last three weeks, I've literally been on conference calls morning to night with our entire portfolio on contingency planning and trying to figure out ways by which we get to minimum 12 months of runway, right? So that way, what I'm doing is I'm dispatching my duty as a steward of capital towards my LPs. And at the same time, I'm also uh, honoring my philosophical pursuit of helping founders or our founders and just other founders too, to make sure that they succeed and eventually thrive. Wow, amazing. That's an intense workload. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that. Um, and also because you work in a team and you have up and rising talent within Streamlined itself, um, what measures have you taken personally to be able to transfer your experience and your process to the next generation of stewards of capital? Yeah, it's a good question. And it's something that um, I'm, you know, certainly keen on, interested in, and passionate about. One of our team members who's on the on our investment team sort of sits in with me on all of these planning sessions, right? So what she is getting the benefit of is all the learnings from my 23 years of experience, having gone through ups and downs, um, and to see sort of how in times of difficulty, one, one sort of helps these founders adapt the business model in order to, again, survive to thrive right so if you survive you thrive that's that's really the play i think she's she's getting the benefit of that she's also getting the benefit of seeing how we have adapted our investment pace so we've slowed down our investment pace we're not heading for the hills by any means we're sitting on cash which is a good thing because i believe there's going to be again being stewards of rlp's capital there's going to be some really interesting buying opportunities for us sometime in the next three months within the next three months and so we are constantly still meeting with companies because at some point the right thing's going to come at the right price with the right founders 
and we're going to want to invest in that company. So we're, you know, we're, we're open for business. We're slowing down. We're slow for sure compared to our historical pace. Um, we'll be slow for, I think, the next month or two for sure. And thereafter, uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to sort of start to activate more. It's, and the other piece of this also is that it's a function of bandwidth because if we're spending so much time uh, trying to just get our portfolio companies going, we don't have as much capacity to look at new opportunities just, just yet. So, but Nikki sits in for us on all of these meetings, so she's getting the benefit of seeing how, how this playbook is, is enacted. Great. And to clarify, you mean you're slower, you're still investing, you're slower, slower in the sense of getting to sp uh, your speed to conviction, whether yes or no, is that what you mean? Or slower as in if you are disciplined to an X number of investments per year, have you slower <laughs> in the sense that, oh, you've put that off and tightened, tightened the noose around there? Um, a little bit of both, I think. I think our decision make decision pace has slowed a little bit. In the past, we would, you know, we our pace could have been like, including all our diligence, we would make a decision within, sometimes depending on the type of company, we could make a decision in a week to three weeks. Okay, great. Uh, now it's elongated beyond that uh, because there's no real incentive to invest in companies, not until you have a really solid understanding of what the sales cycles are gonna look like over the next three quarters, right? So until we have, there's a bit of a fog right now around what those sales cycles might look like. So un unless you have conviction on how we're gonna get through that fog, we'll probably be a little bit slower, but in terms of getting to decision, and it will also be slower in terms of the number of investments we'll make in that period. And I think that I see that persisting somewhere in the next three months and thereafter we'll reevaluate. Great, thank you, thank you, awesome. That's really helpful. And I, th I think I'm gonna switch gears now okay. because we've been talking a lot in venture space, but we also wanna respect that, you know, uh, venture capitalist investors, they're human beings too, with their own journeys. And one of the things you mentioned uh, was very inspiring was um, that you, you grew up in Mumbai. Yeah. You immigrated very poor states and there was an ethos around innovation in the states and entrepreneurs that really inspired you and something that you wanted to contribute and support throughout your life. Um, what was that like, you know, coming from Mumbai? I'm sure you were educated, you had a bachelor degree in chemistry, but you literally shifted cultures, didn't really know how things worked. How did you get yourself off the ground? Um, and what were some of the key challenges or learnings you had um, that really helped accelerate that? Or was it just baked in to your DNA because you came from a really like hard environment? You know, I think <clears throat> hard to tell, um, but I think the traits that I mentioned about founders, <clears throat> is something that I sort of have taken to heart and had always taken to heart around, you know, integrity and resiliency and intelligence, meaning the ability to sort of assess a situation and pivot as necessary. I think those things have kind of sort of been ingrained in me for since my younger days, because we just had to sort of make do with very little to get to the point where we, we were doing okay in life. So when I came to this country, I mean, for instance, I had a really thick Indian accent. Right. And when I landed at JFK for the first time, the guy at immigration couldn't fully understand what I was saying. And so immediately I had to like, OK, this has got to go. I've got to figure out if I'm going to make it in this country, I've got to do something about it. So I would watch newscasters relentlessly. I would repeat what they were saying and I would adapt my tongue to sort of get that accent right. Right. So things like that I started to do. I also started to learn about technology. I was an organic, organic chemist in, in India at a chemical trading business out of out of uh, college. And I had to learn tech 
And so I started to do that as well. To get my first job, I called, I wanted to get on Wall Street and I called the trading desk of a Wall Street firm, small Wall Street firm, 40 times, 40, 40 days until they finally took a meeting with me. And then I told them, just hire me as a temp, doesn't matter. And they hired me as a temp. And then two years later, you know, I was generating a meaningful portion of the revenue of the firm. And so I think it, you know, that, that goes back to the resiliency and all that. And it came from a variety of different places. It came from, you know, um, hunger, desperation, and drive. It's like all of these things sort of came together. And, and because of that, you know, and eventually sort of it all, it all proliferated into what it's turned, my life has turned into. But I, I don't think even if I brought all of that to bear, perhaps in the India of the 19, uh, early 1990s, I don't think I would have gotten as far as I have managed to get in the United States. And I think that's thanks to the socioeconomic structure. The, you know, capitalism at its, at its epitome is in this, in this country. And without that structure, I don't think I would have had the opportunity to sort of grow as much as I did. Well said, well said. And also you mentioned, you know, a lot of what you, a lot of your success was driven by necessity, right? And as, as you accumulated more and more success, you know, professionally and personally, was there a point in where, uh, when necessity was taken care of, was there a point where you had to spend some time thinking, well, what drives me now, right? Yeah. Like, is it contribu- was it contribution? Was it like there are other facets of life I want to enrich and explore, whether it's a relationship, a sport? Um, can you talk through some of that with us? Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, because of the inherent programming around desperation, that set me on a path for, and that, that lasted even after I had success, probably 10 years after that, because I could not dissociate and disconnect and say, okay, okay, I can actually pause now. I can take a breath and think about broader implications. And because, you know, in a way, once people are launched in a, in a direction, there's inertia associated with that movement. And so I was in an inertial state where I just kept going and I would move <clears throat> just as fast, operate from a place of seeming desperation, even though it wouldn't make sense. It was, di- it was discordant with my state, my current state at that point. But over time, I think, you know, it, it, I have family and I have kids and all that. I think all of those factors start to play into it. And you start to then slow down a little bit and you can, you know, smell the, smell the flowers a little and so on and so forth. And that's when you start to realize that, okay, there's actually, now it's time for me to be able to pause and see how else I can help and impact the rest of the ecosystem. And that's when I started thinking about sort of, you know, what was it that, why am I doing this? What is the reason for me to do it? And I came back to this philosophical imperative. I wake up every single morning now and my sole objective is it's no longer pure capital uh, creation for my LPs. It's capital creation for the LPs, but also proliferation of this, of this system. Great. So well said. And uh, I forgot what I was going to ask next, but actually, yes, I was going to say, you know, there's a, in this, uh, in the recent economic climate, setting aside mass events, we've seen a lot of emerging manager talent on the rise. A lot of people aspiring or in the process of strategically forming the funds. Uh, In your experience and what you've seen, what are some of the things you look for in uh, early stage uh, emerging manager talent? What are some of the traits that make a manager really effective at what they do both in the short and in the long term? Yeah, I think, I think, you know, I find that people who had experience with the entrepreneurial journey are naturally tend to be more empathetic with entrepreneurs. 
Uh, and that's an important input for me in who I choose as my co-investor because I, I want that empathy. It's a really hard journey. It's super hard. I mean, a founder, you know, people say this, it's a very lonely job, which is true. Um, and I've, you know, I've been now in, in a founder role in many, many uh, companies and it's just, it's, it's not like you can share with your co- co-founders all of your insecurities and all that kind of stuff. So to be able to be there for that founder when they need to speak about some of the issues, I want that. I also want people as co-investors who have the courage of their convictions to be able to provide harsh feedback when necessary. And I shouldn't say harsh, but like, you know, candid, straightforward, and hard feedback as necessary to a founder where they might be doing things either either based on, you know, it's because it's bad behavior or because they just don't understand. And so to be able to sort of slow them down a little bit and communicate that empathetically and in a, in a considered manner, I think is very important as well. Um, so I think, I think those two characteristics are important, that founder empathy, as well as the, the knowledge of the entrepreneurial journey become very important as, as a new manager. I do think many new managers who have not gone through significant downturns are going to be a little more affected in this kind of a downturn, partly because they may not have the knowledge to manage their entire portfolios through this uh, or experience. And then I also think that the market for funding those funds um, is going to, you know, be tempered over the course of the next year or two because of what's happened. And so I think those factors combined will result in potentially a small shakeout in the number of emerging managers. But I think the ones who have, again, the the same characteristics I mentioned about founders and also have this empathy towards founders, courage of their convictions, I think will make it through this. Oh, so well said. Thanks for sharing um, both, you know, both tactical insight and also values level insight into what you look for across the board. Just because we have only a couple of minutes left, I think one of the things Arjun let me know that was, I would say is a talent or an eccentricity of yours would be dad jokes. <laughs> is, that, is that correct, Arjun? <laughs> I've seen some of his dad jokes on, on Twitter, so I... Father, I'm, I'm deeply grateful that you're, you know, sharing all of that. So I want to... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so we thought we'd give you an opportunity to share one. To oh, I don't this have any, Do not put me on the spot. <laughs> I'm the worst at being put on the spot. As, as, okay. As okay. But if you do, everyone, please, if you're watching this uh, interview, um, please do follow Ulus on Twitter and scroll through his feed. I'm sure you'll find one. And, you know, just we have three minutes left. Ulus, is there anything else you'd like to share finally in this interview? Because we're doing our part to enrich both the founder and funder ecosystem. Yeah, um, for sure. I mean, I think, I think you know, I, I just want everybody to sort of realize that we are going through a hard time right now, but, uh, but we're going to come out of it. We've been through hard times before. We're going to come out of it and we're going to be, you know, the, the environment will look up again. And this is a message more to founders than anybody else. It's going to look up again. Just find, be prudent and find ways to sort of extend your runway to get through this and it's all going to be okay. Call me if you need it, need me. You, you can track me down. I'm always available if, if you need me. And, um, um, and I think overall, uh, you know, keep a good sense of humor and, 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 and stay safe. I mean, that's kind of sort of what I'd say. Thank you. Really well said. We appreciate that. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much for compressing so much in such a short time.